0: It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air.
1: With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain.
0: We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two.
1: Part of the Penalty
0: Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. I am your host, Kyle. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello.
1: Hey, guys.
0: Oh, a little loud there, Daniel. You feeling okay? Yeah, I'm perfectly fine. Okay, so before we uh, were starting the show, we were discussing Matt's love of Lord of the Rings, and for the first time, he's actually getting through the series. So uh, I know we've probably got some people on who listen to us who are big uh, Lord of the Rings fans. So, Matt... uh, Give us your just, you know, thousand foot view of how you enjoyed this series so far.
1: Well, I have to say, you know, when we were younger, we watched it and it was fine, but now I'm watching them all the way through kind of sitting them back to back nights and, uh, you know, one, one movie every night and I'm starting to really appreciate it a lot more. And now that we've got into the Hobbits, it's really, really making it cement for me. You're getting
2: getting that backstory now too.
1: Yes. Which I think I like the Hobbits maybe better than the first two Lord of the Rings. The first Lord of the Rings I thought was kind of slow, which is maybe why I kind of had a disinterest and I was like, I want to see some action. I want to see some adventure. And it really took them through most of the movie to get there. Uh, Whereas the, after the first movie, it's a lot more action packed and more my speed. So
2: it's pretty awesome. You're watching Collector's Edition, right? Like full-on like four hours? Yeah, yes. Okay, okay, yes. good. Because that's like you're going to get like at least an hour extra pretty much of bonus scenes that are definitely more relevant, especially for Lord of the Rings more so than The Hobbit. So,
0: But those are fighting words, Matt, saying that The Hobbit is better than Lord of the Rings because there's a lot of people out there that really believe, and I kind of agree with them, that The Lord of the Rings is better than The Hobbit in almost every way.
1: Well, you know, it's odd for me because I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm kind of a noob at this stuff, and I don't really watch a lot of movies. But when I watched that third Lord of the Rings movie, The Return of the King, you said? Um, I thought that was the best movie I've ever seen, probably. A few moments in that movie had me kind of emotional, and I was like, this this is really awesome. So I can see what the fanfare is all about.
2: For me, it's like the second half of Two Towers Onward is so ridiculous. Like, if you think about it, because you have like the Helms Deep scene uh, all that is absolutely just incredible, and then it basically just launches you right into Return of the Kings, which is very much action packed for you. I know you like more of the action sequences, but yeah, uh, the end of Two Towers, so good, gets me every time. The orcs out there stamping the ground—you got to listen to it on a nice surround sound where you get the subs going, so good. And then he blows the horn, Kyle. That's that's Kyle's favorite part. So
0: that is my favorite part of the Two Towers. So, Matt, what is your favorite part of The Two Towers and what's your favorite part of Return of the King?
1: Well, I'll have to say, I don't know which movies which, they kind of run together for me because I have the worst memory ever. But my favorite moments in the last three movies were each movie, Legless gets one really bad boy, awesome fight scene where he's like sliding down on a shield of orcs and then like... Helm's deep. And That's then Helms like deep. crossbowing yeah. people as it goes down. He just gets one really epic scene and I'm just like shouting at the TV. I'm like, yes, that is what I'm talking about. So that makes it all the worthwhile for me.
2: So you're like, you like that scene and then you like the elephant kill scene. Yes. Where he like yes. slides off the trunk. Yes. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's Return of the King. So there you go. Those, those are your two legless scenes. So
0: I'll tell you for me, Matt, my favorite scene of the Return of the King is at the very end. Sauron's defeated. Uh, Aragorn is now the king. Him and Arryn walk up to the hobbits. And oh. I get chills oh. every time I watch it. So good. And they go to bow for him and uh, Aragorn's like, my friend, you bow for no man. And everybody just bows. they're the
2: shortest people, too, in the room, so everybody's really got to bow low because they're the hobbits. Yeah,
1: I may have shed a tear during that scene. So Definitely, I felt that one.
2: Such an epic
0: thing. And, you know, we'll use this conversation to leapfrog into our topic uh, because I have labeled this episode, Bruce, there it is, because Bruce Boudreaux, unfortunately now, is going to have enough time to do whatever he wants because we found out yesterday, or I believe it was Sunday, one of the two days, Uh, He has been fired by the Vancouver uh, Canucks. If you listen to the uh, broadcaster lady who really messed up everyone's uh, stuff, go find it online. It's hilarious. But yeah, um, Rick Tockett was hired to replace Boudreau. See? Boudreau. I messed it up. (laughs) You're talking like her right now. I know. So we'll redo this again even though. So Rick Tockett was hired after Bruce Boudreau was fired as the head coach. 14 months he was in the position took over in December 21 after uh, Travis Green was fired as the head coach and um, GM Jim Bitten was let go. And it was only 25 games into the season. He brings his team back, They basically missed the playoff by two points. And, you know, I feel like this guy was just done really dirty. And you could tell, like, the fan base um, thought he was done dirty too because, you know, they knew it was his last game. Everyone's chanting, Bruce, there it is. And, man, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the Canucks myself, but I am just a huge fan of Bruce Boudreau. And so Daniel, we'll go start with you.
2: Yeah. So um, the Vancouver Canucks, as it's said nowadays, man, they are a dumpster fire right now as far as the front office and organization because the way they handle this, absolutely ridiculous. Like you could tell too in the arena that last night, as you were saying, like all the fans totally behind Bruce, they're like, You'd seen the signs. Bruce, there it is. We stand for Bruce. Because like like you said, he almost got that team that was like almost dead last into a playoff position last year. And quite frankly, I think he's just been set up for failure the whole time. Like it just is what it is. He doesn't have the best team there. He's working with the best he's got. But uh, to come in halfway through another one and then get fired halfway through another season is like really strange. I mean, like you said, 14 months, that's crazy short. For a team that was already in the dump. You know what I mean? Like, that it's totally different if you're coming in and the team was already like crazy high win percentage. Like, say somebody came into Vegas, you know, uh, who was it? Cassidy came into to Vegas. That team was already bumping. So, if he, he had a terrible win percentage, yeah, I can maybe see him be out, you know, being out in a year. But no, like, this team was in the dump. They're a lottery pick almost every single year for a first. So, I I don't quite understand why, and it seemed to all resonate from their GM, uh, and uh, he was on record, and I know Matt did a ton of research on this, so he might echo some of these. But like even g- g- going back to November, he was very critical of Bruce on like radio talks, and then apparently like around Christmas, they already started shopping for coaches ahead of time and not telling him. So like they've already been you know kind of going behind the scenes and trying to find somebody, basically just keeping him in the position just a little longer because they needed someone to to be the head coach and that's absolutely ridiculous for a coach of his pedigree and you can tell what it means to him too like i mean he was literally tearing up on the bench as he walked off uh for the canucks for the last time because um i mean i think he said in his post-game interview he's like you never know if this is it or like you know you will coach again i mean Granted, I feel like there's going to be some takers for him, uh, given his pedigree and stuff, and we can talk a little bit about that later. But uh yeah, they, I, I think they've done him dirty, and uh, I, I really don't know why um, Rick wants to come in here and coach after him after seeing what they did to him. Honestly, like that's my thing—is like they're they're treating everybody like trash right now. So uh, good luck, Rick. You got an uphill battle with that front front office, Matt.
1: Yeah. You know, I heard a really good quote from Elliot Freeman the other day, and he said that you can tell a lot more, you judge an organization, not by how it treats you when you come into the organization, but how it treats you when you leave. And I think this is a really telling situation with how they're treating Boost because, so Jim Rutherford is the GM of the Canucks now, and he is personal friends with Boudreaux. So not only, so some of the stats, i uh, go ahead and say, you've got written down here for me, Kyle. Thank you. Um, teams that have coached under Bruce Boudreaux, or you know, teams that he has coached for at least one full season, have made the playoffs nine out of ten times, which is an outstanding, amazing stat. He has a win percentage of .626, which is fourth among all coaches with at least 500 goals. So you're talking about an all-time best coach. So not only is it disrespectful to fire him Um, when he was doing a pretty good job, honestly. Uh, Like you said, Daniel, they were kind of in the dumps. He's raised the bar for the team recently. But really what the kicker isn't the fact that they fired him, it's how they went about it. So Jim Rutherford is known as a loudmouth. He runs his mouth all the time. You said even last year he's been known to run his mouth about how they're shopping around. Well, this got out again to the point where It was known before they fired him officially, it was already known two and a half weeks prior that that talk was coming in. To the point that even on national television, on TNT, uh, where Biz and Talkett are on Talkett, and the boys actually rizzed Talkett a little bit about the situation. They're like, oh, so you're going to go and take Bruce's job, you know, and all this. And and Talkett was like, well, you know, I hadn't signed the contract yet. He was kind of backing away. But they were rizzing him on national television, the fact that they already knew that Talkett was coming to take that job, and nobody bothered to tell Bruce. So Bruce was felt very disrespected because it wasn't just rumors, it was truth. And it all because Jim Rutherford ran his mouth too much and let it be known. And to the point that after this happened, Jim Rutherford said, all right, well, now I'm going to have to take a step back and I won't be the mouthpiece for the organization anymore. I'm going to just kind of sit back and do the, the armchair moves and let whoever the next in line guy is, I forget his name, uh, do, do all of the mouth Piece speaking for the organization because I need to play a little more close to the vest because he realized that he kind of did Bruce Dirty in that situation
2: yeah so uh, some of the things that were brought up online was you know with Rick being on TNT uh, you know that they had to give him ample amount of time in his contract for that deal to come through and I've seen up like I've seen four weeks float around two weeks, but that's that's crazy because like the fact that they had already done that and already did it like a month or two weeks ago, and they still hadn't talked to Bruce about it, and they just let him go on, and then he's sitting over here like, what the crap, everybody? Like, I mean, seriously, like now I, I guess I'm just replaced, and you didn't even have a conversation with me first. That is absolutely like super unprofessional.
1: Yeah, I'm getting vibes of how they treat, have how um, Vegas treated Flurry. A couple of years ago. And I'm still, as you can tell, salty about that situation because these are the moments that stick with you and how organizations treat people. And that does leave definitely a bad taste in my mouth. And as a Vancouver fan, apparently the fans handled, well, they were very appreciative of Bruce, but I don't know how you can be a backer of Jim Rutherford anymore or the organization. Like that has to hurt your fan base. And I heard people talk about, you know, I'd like to see if the Vancouver Canucks was a stock market. Uh, was a stock, how their prices would have looked over the last month or two because they had to have been going wild and uh, they just have to do some damage control. It's just a, a real crap show in Vancouver. It's unfortunate.
2: So this kind of opens up huh, a whole list of other conversations because now we have some pretty good coaching candidates out there, you know, say the Preds were to make a coaching decision here soon. Say, you know, Finally, we can, you know, make a decision, which I don't think is going to happen, honestly, midseason. I feel like they're going to ride Hines out the rest of the year unless we go on, like, a terrible run, which we can discuss, you know, in great details. But what do you think about Bruce as a potential candidate for the Nashville Predators in the future?
0: I think it would be an excellent decision. As we've said, Bruce is well-loved by people, His teams love playing for him. Every team he's played for, the players have said they give it his all. Like Even the players last last night, knowing that Bruce was being let go, said they gave it his all for him. So I think he would be a great move to come into the organization. But as you said, Daniel, it depends on whether the Preds use Hines throughout the rest of the season. And with respect to John Hines, I think that is the right move, whether or not he does get replaced by the end of the season. If you've got a coach, unless you're doing just abysmal – let him go through the end of the season and then make your decision on the off season. But um, so, yeah, but I would love to have a uh, Boudreau come in and be the head coach for the Preds.
2: So some of the things that I was kind of, you know, looking into uh, Bruce's teams finished near top of the league almost every single year in goals. And what's the one thing that predators are struggling with right now? Goals for, we're literally almost the worst team in the league for goals uh, uh, for scoring. And How great of a combo would that be to bring him in, to have a great offensive mind like he is, to boost the players here that we already have. You can bring up some of the other more offensive-minded players, too, from Milwaukee. And guess what? Bruce would also have an elite goaltender who's also giving you probably some of the best and arguably some of the best quality starts in the league right now. Um, I mean, it's between him and, I guess, uh, Linus up in Boston, but even then, that team is stacked. Do you know what I mean? Like, Soros is really carrying the team right now, and quite frankly, I think that's the only reason why Hines hasn't been fired this year is because literally Saros is on another Vesna possibly candidate year, and probably the only thing that's going to keep him from getting it is because uh, Boston has way more wins than the Preds, but... Saros means more to the Preds than they do right now for, for goaltending, but could you imagine that combo, having an elite goaltender and then bringing in an offensive-minded coach who literally flourishes with all these great players that would love to have their job. like Forsberg would love to be underneath his system. I'm, I'm very confident of that. Our power play might look a lot different than it currently is. So... That said, you know, I I'm, I'm for it, but it is going to be interesting to see how they the the next couple games in particular too going into the All-Star break because if they're going to make anything, it would probably be around a clean break point. The only way I see Hines getting fired is if we get swept up to then, and even then, I feel like he's going to he's going to ride him out a l- little bit longer. Um, now that said though, I did not think Poyle would ever fire a coach midseason. And when Lavi got fired, that kind of shocked me. Cause remember, like basically it was right after the winter classic. It was like a downhill spiral, you know, like and, and there was a bad performance there, and that was it. So GMDP has made the decision before in the middle of a season to fire a coach. So I did I do want to throw that out there as a very interesting point. It has happened before. So
1: I I think we're fanboying a little bit. I would like to see it. I think we all would like to see it. It was one of our major criticisms when Hines came in was that he really hasn't, I don't know, he's just not an outstanding performer, and we wanted somebody with a little more metal. I felt that the John Hines situation was like a short sighted, like a put a band aid on it, as opposed to looking more long term. I thought that you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot in no man's land for three to five years, which is looking like what's going to happen. Um, I think. John Hines is getting rode out for at least the next for at least the end of this season, probably next season, and then they're gonna finally get tired of him. We'll see. I think David Boyle doesn't like to shift gears very fast. So I think he's gonna hold on to his decisions for a couple years. But that being said, you know, something that we haven't mentioned about Bruce Boudreaux yet was that the way he handled it. Uh, you know, he was tearing up on the benches and he was also in a post game interview was kind of tearing up and had to leave because he's about to start cry. Very emotional guy. You can see him drop a lot of F-bombs and stuff as he, as he's coaching. (laughs) Um, but he handled it so well, pure class. He didn't, uh, he didn't criticize the organization and uh, he handled it so well that everybody said, Well, we'd love to see him on our team. Apparently, he's done some media work, so he could be in a broadcast booth sometime. But whatever it is, everybody knows that he's a man of great talent. He's been in the league, he's been in the organization, sorry, uh, in the hockey league, really, for almost 50 years, probably. Uh, and it was interesting. He scored his first goal against Jim Rutherford, the guy that fired him. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but uh, interesting.
0: Well, it makes me wonder with Bruce Birdrow leaving how the player is going to react because you know two big names on the NHL trade board
2: yeah, for
0: um because they're becoming UFAs is uh Bo Horvat and Brock Besser I mean would these guys want to play for a team that did their coach dirty I know if it was me I wouldn't I say move me somewhere else I think it was um Brock Besser I think that turned down an eight million dollar con uh, eight year uh contract multi-million dollars I mean that tells you something that one of those guys goes yeah, I, d- I don't want to play for you guys, and I don't care how much money you give. That just kind of shows you how he thinks.
2: Daniel? Hey, because um, oh, so we've actually been throwing this around, too, about some of the potential trades, which we can talk about for the Preds, because the Preds are, apparently, they have already reached out to the Canucks about actually um, trying to work out a trade for um, Bo or Brock, um, which I would love to have either, I, I feel like, but it just depends on what we would have to give up, which I think Fabro is in the mix with that conversation with him being an RFA uh, coming. So I feel like it would potentially be like Fabro, maybe one other and a pick, you know, to swap out uh, for Bo or Bruce. But what is very interesting now in the conversation is what happens if, like, we struggle, we make a coaching change to Bruce comes in, and then you also trade for one of the players that played for him so then you'd end up getting basically the head coach for the Canucks and one of the players for the Canucks at the same time which I was like that would be kind of interesting but at the same time too you know that's way 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 a long shot uh, in the betting world there but uh, yeah so those are the two top two ones but the Preds have been tied to that so I mean we can talk about maybe potential trade offers for that but I definitely think it's got to be Fabro uh, and some others because, you know, they gotta they got to make a little bit more cap space.
1: But I think if you're onloading a player of Besser's talent or Horvat for that matter, uh, that speaks to that you're in a buyer's market as your team. And I don't necessarily know that the Preds are in that mindset right now. Although it could be a good fit, you know, just for having a player but when you're talking long-term deals, you're starting, to, you're starting to project in the near future, three or four years. And I don't know if that's particularly the position that David Poyle wants to put himself in with acquiring a new talent at the moment. But, you know, a good deal is a good deal. So, we'll see.
0: Well, it also brings up an interesting point about our cap space. Because should Brock or Bo come down to the Preds and we look up who we've got to give up for him, there's obviously some wiggle room on the cap space. Currently, right now, the Preds have a projected cap hit of $80 million. Their projected cap space is 2.1, and their current cap million space is 5 million. So it looks like there is some wiggle room in there. But besides Fabro or a draft pick, who else would you be willing to give up to make the cap space that either uh, Brock or Bo would command?
2: So I was just looking that up. So Brock is at a 6.6. Bo is actually at a 5.5 which is very interesting. So that's actually the person who I would probably lean more towards getting. Uh, 5.5 might be doable if you are looking at trying to get rid of some space here. So what do we have? 2.1, then we would have to get rid of definitely Fabro, right? How much does Fabro have on the list here? He is 2.4. 2.4. So just with that one piece, you're actually getting very close to making it work. Um so and there's some other ones that have been thrown out too that are gonna be RFAs that you could possibly lump in with the deal. Um so yeah, I I mean it's definitely doable. It's it's just how much are you wanting to give up? Now um the funny part is too, and one of the reasons why I wanted you to look at the cap is recently um the Preds are actually carrying less players right now. And I don't know if you guys noticed that. So they're they're carrying one less player because I thought for sure they were going to call up another person once McCarran um, was waived and made it through because that cleared more cap space, but they never filled the position back, which I thought was very strange. So to your point earlier, Matt, the Preds are kind of in this awkward spot where it's like, do we stay put and just kind of, Almost like fizzle out and get a higher draft pick, or do we buy some? You know, or like you know, maybe if it's a good deal, you just buy anyways. You know, but that said, the fact that they did not backfill that position to carry on because they have the cap space, they could easily call up anybody from Milwaukee. Tomasino is killing it right now in Milwaukee. He probably honestly should be on the roster to begin with, but he's not. So why are you not bringing somebody up? when you have a clear vacancy almost gives you a sign that they are buyers right now leading up to the, the at least to the NHL trade trade deadline. I feel like they might be a little lean because I thought that was super strange that they did not call somebody back up after they reassigned somebody back down. That like never happens. And then you notice like we end up, like last time, we had 1.4 million on the cap. Now we're at 2.1, so that's clearing cap space already for maybe a potential trade. So, just an interesting note. It's it's just kind of weird.
1: Yeah, that is odd. You know, especially when you can just bring up an AHL guy. And just slot them in. That doesn't mean you're not in the market. That just means you have more assets to use. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. I'd like to hear the backstory on why the decision was made that way, because that is a little curious. It could be telling of something. There might be something structurally that like happens in the organization that we're not really privy to about how it works that way. But that is odd to see.
2: Well, you think about it like this. You gain that cap space. So they gained like, what, six, seven $700,000 in cap space. Um, yeah, you are lighter. But say you called up somebody else, and then you end up having to trade, and then you have an extra roster person, and then you end up having to send somebody back down. Well, then you have to waive them again, and they have to go through the waiver oh. wire again, so they could potentially get picked up again. Okay, so that's, that's, that's why what that's why I was kind of like very interesting that they're just not pulling somebody up at this point. I feel like that will end up, you know, it'll all work out because whether you trade for multiple assets, then you end up having to call more people up which honestly I think might be the best decision, is trade some, bring up some of those young guys who are actually doing good, Tomasino, i.e. pulling maybe another veteran. Then you still are very close to the cap, you're under it, and then you still get some you know new youth coming up too that huh, it's not really new when you know the kid played 76 games last year for us. But that said, it is you don't have to send him back through the waiver wire. So, you know.
1: You want to know a statistic that's going to hurt your feelings? So we talked last week about how Ely Tolvan is crushing it in Seattle. Now he has more goals with Seattle than 10 forwards for Nashville. More goals than Granlin, Parson and Glass, Novak, Jankowski, Jeanette, McCarran, Sanford, Sherwood, and Smith.
2: And you just straight him away. Yeah, I know. I'll believe me. I know. I'm well aware because I saw that immediately and I was just like, I mean, it just is what it is. David Poyle's comments on that, though, were hilarious because he's like, well, if that was like, you know, if if that's, you know, what happens and he ends up doing really well, you know, then that's my bad. And I'm like, yes, it well, congratulations. Yes, it is your bad because you're the one that waived him. So everybody thought he was going to make it through off of a casual $1.4 million contract that now Seattle has him for. That's ridiculous.
0: You know, it's funny. I was reading about Tolvan uh, the other day because he was talking with somebody – in Seattle about his time in Nashville. And he said that, I'm assuming Hines, at this point, was basically telling them that he was one day going to be a goal scorer for one game. The next game, he's going to be a checker. And it kept going back and forth. They gave him no consistency. He said he never got a consistent thing. It was either one day he's checking and on the third or fourth line, or they there wanting to be a goal scorer and trying to put him on the first or second line. And he just could not get a rhythm, which I think attributed to the fact that we were just like, man, this guy ain't doing good. Then see him going to Seattle, like I said, Matt, and he just, yeah, showing just how good he actually is. And I think the Preds um, have a black mark on them because, because it's like, you know, that's going to go down.
2: It's probably one of the worst things Boyle could have done as the GM. Terrible decision to waive him, but terrible decision on Hines for putting him in that position where you're flip-flopping him back and forth every night. Why is he a checker? He's not a checker yeah like what like what the crap like literally uh, if you look at every khl tape of him he's lighting it up with his wrist shot he's on the power play guess what he goes with the kraken they swap him over to his better side put him on the dang power play and put him in the spots where he needs to and he's sniping again what do you know he's not having to check because he doesn't check he's not a check person his game mark burrowiki for that like like that makes no sense so that's on Heinz for flip-flopping back and forth and then if Heinz was the ones like oh it's not really working out then GMDP was like okay well then we'll waive them because I have to do something so it's honestly on both of them but if that's the case it sounds more like it was Hines' problem because he couldn't make it work in his system
1: yeah the world famous John Hines system whoop de doo yeah, I, I, I don't know. If you but, can't tell, the Preds have made me mad the last couple of months. So uh, it's hard to call myself a big Preds fan at the moment.
0: Well, I mean, I guess the next question is, do we really think the Preds are going to make the playoffs? No. I mean, I looked at it today, 19%. and yeah, we are five points behind Calgary for the last wild card spot. And as I've said before, usually by Thanksgiving to this time, the The lineup is generally set about who's going to be the playoff-capable teams and who the bubble teams are going to probably be. And we're not even a bubble team. We're literally just trying to catch up. And so I don't understand um, why we would try to buy because I don't think we're going to be able to recreate the famous St. Louis miracle where they come from January at this time and then make it all the way to the playoffs and win. So, I mean, it's just crazy. So, Dan? Next
2: three games. Jets, killing it. They're absolutely on fire. Vegas Golden Knights, on fire as well. The New Jersey Devils, on fire as well. We got three top ten, the top seven. There are three top seven teams in the next three games. And the Preds are already gassed because, as I pointed out the other night, it was like this schedule here recently has been crazy how many games they've played. There's been two or three back-to-backs, and the only reason why they've They've gotten several of those was because Soros is like lighting it up. I mean, he's one of the best goaltenders in the league right now. And, oh, it's so frustrating because you're seeing one of the best goaltending talents get sucked into a system that can't score more than three goals a game and give him the support he needs to win more games. And it's like, at what point? do you just cut your loss with Hines and say the system isn't working? As as the general manager, the system isn't working. I have to make a change. You go get somebody else who is more offensive-minded, and then you already have Soros because Soros has several more years of good production like this in him. So if you make a change now, you will eventually be able to have great goaltending and possibly a good offense. But the problem is right now, you don't want to make a decision like like you said earlier, you're just stuck. And, so And you're just going to be stuck with Hines the next two years? And then after that, like, well, what's the degradation on Saros's performance after that point? Do you see what I mean? Like you're wasting some of the best goaltending talent on the worst coaching system for goal scoring.
1: Uh, another aspect to it is even if you were—so it's really hard to see your biases. You're like, oh, John Hines is thinking—sorry, or uh, sorry, David Poyle is thinking a certain way, and he's kind of biased towards these viewpoints. Well, that's one thing, but it's really hard to— to see in yourself that you have these biases, but say even he noticed, oh, maybe I'm, maybe my mindset needs to change, and maybe I need to be looking this direction. Well, <clears throat> the problem is, even if you see that you have an error and that you're the reason for the error, it's very difficult for people to acknowledge that and to own up to it and say, you know, I really screwed the pooch on that on that trade, that draft pick selection, whatever it was, and then roll over on it and then make a different decision. That kind of sit on your hands and and just say in public that you messed it up. I saw uh, Eisenman did that the other day, actually, I forget exactly the situation, but he traded or waived one guy that he stuck very highly in a draft and kind of just owned up to it and said, Yeah, that was my bad. And you went on about your business. But it's very difficult for GMs. I think it's a very proud league, especially the old timers. Uh, So especially like David who has been around the block for a little bit. I think it's very difficult for them to roll over because it makes them look weak, honestly.
0: Well, how much of this is actually on the offense as well too? Because as I was gathering information for this, I looked at our current uh, you know, fanboy that we like to talk about, Connor McDavid, and looked up his season stats. Oh, my Lord. And That's it nice. is stupid. So let me go find them here. Yeah. So Connor McDavid has eighty eight points. Already. Already. Forty goals, forty eight assists. And I'm like, if only one of our guys could play like him but I don't know what's going on and I don't know what we can do to fix the situation outside of trading a player as a wake up call that's not Fabro or get rid of the head coach because if you look you got Philip Forsberg 39 points in 46 games 18 goals he is the top goal scorer for the team 21 assists is great but it's like Roman Yossi, 39 points 12 goals, 27 assists. He's a defenseman, too. Yeah, a defenseman. <laughs> Forsberg <laughs> should be having more than Roman Yossi. But, you know, Yossi is also a special case, too. Then you got Matt Duchesne, 36 points, 13 goals, 23 assists in 45 games. Mikhail Grandlin, I'm okay with because we know what we're going to get out of him. He's a primarily an Three assist assists. machine. Yeah, Five goals, 22 assists, 36 games. Ryan Johansson, 24 points, five goals, 22 assists. I would like to see more production out of Joey, because everybody would. Everybody would. He's eight. You know what is his contract?
1: Maybe eight million. Yeah, buddy. Eight
0: million. And it's like you give me five goals for eight million dollars. Oh, that's brutal, bro. Yeah, it's it's bad. Ugh. it hurts. So that's I mean, so bad. but you know what? We do have one good sliver ray of hope. Cole Smith got his goal.
2: Oh God,
0: he, he got his goal.
2: <laughs> okay, we can talk about this for a second. So, meanwhile, we have Cole Smith. Who has played? I don't know. What do we have? Where are we at? Goal game or goal? Forty-six games. We've played forty-six illustrious games, and he got his first goal of the season. While there are other people, like Tolvanen, getting waved and going away, and for whatever reason, Hines wants this guy in there. So that blows my mind once again because he called him what like an 82 game player or whatever. That was and, actually a Dan Heino. No, they've called him an 82 game player. Why would you say that? And I'm like, if he's just bruising people, we have other people for that 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 job. Like we 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 really do. And if you are one of the worst offensive teams in the league, then why is Cole Smith on the team? taking up cap space and taking up any fresh air when you could go pull any of those younger kids from Milwaukee that are just killing it right now. Like Tomasino, Evangelista, you have all these other ones in the wings that are offensive minded. yet You don't want to go get them. Are you pulling up the list? Yeah. Tomasino. That's a good one. Um, Sanford's already been on the team once. We already tried that experiment. You have Af uh, Afanasev, uh, Evangelista. I, I mean, we tried Sherwood there for a bit. Sherwood got more goals than Cole Smith did. That that's for sure. Remember that we had that experiment for like two games, which I never, I didn't really understand because he actually scored a couple, and then he had a couple where he didn't have anything, and then we sent him back down. So whatever, his time was very short. Um. I mean, we haven't even looked at Joe Kim, who's been killing it in the Finnish league. But you know, he'll he'll be over here eventually. So that that's my thing. Is like, okay, here's here's a crazy point, and I, I started noticing this. Our team has drafted really well the last several years, really well. But most of those players have either gotten underutilized or been piddled away, and it's it's almost comical at this point how many people that we've traded away that are doing very well but our team has drafted very smart and well so that point that really hurts me because like i have this thing where i don't want poil in anymore but Poyle is obviously doing something right in the scouting department and he is and that's what's super frustrating is because like if he could just get over his bias on some of these coaches or whatever and just get the right guy in and maybe to the point when Lavi was fired, I think if we go back to that, there wasn't very many options, I think, Matt, like you were saying. Wasn't Hines almost like the option? Yeah, it was,
1: it was slim. But I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of teams, like I know this way in Detroit, the GM doesn't do the scouting for the for the uh, draft picks. It's somebody else. They outsource that. So they outsource that to Nick Lidstrom In Nashville... I would be surprised if GMDP is the one doing the uh, draft selection. Well, they make selections, but as far as the scouting, so I don't know that I would necessarily credit David Poyle with doing the best scouting. It's, it's some guy who works for the organization.
2: Yeah, it's the staff, but he is, he's been, he, he hired that person. Do You see what I mean? Like, that's the thing is he's hired those people in the organization that's making the picks. So that's the frustrating part to me is like, you look at some of these picks, they've been steals. Like, Tolvanen was a steal, yet we waived him. Okay? So, uh, I, I mean, who's some of the other ones? Like, Parson and actually was like a 6th or 7th round pick. He's now playing and getting decent production. Like, Askarov, great pick. Evangelist, great pick. Like, these these are all very recent within the last 3-4 to four years, and these are panning out very well, and they look like to be very good prospects. Uh, Joachim, the last one from this last year, Everyone was like, oh man, he's got a really good shot. Like, I think the Predators kind of stole one here. Sure enough, he goes into the the World Juniors, lights it up over there, looks great. He's looking great in the finish league. Looks like he's going to be a great goal scorer. That said, it's like, that's that's the frustrating part is we don't have, it, it's, it's like, like we we are drafting well on very minimal, yet we cannot get. Any production from the coaching side because we had to, we had to get a coach in here, and that was the only option at the time. And now we're stuck with him, and because he doesn't want to can him.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's a roster problem. I agree. It's it's a coaching or a mentality. I call it, It's the problem is asset management and asset allocation. So you have the staff, you have the roster to do something. You just have to, the classic example of how you use and He's a goal scorer. He's a Patrick Laine modeled player, and yet you're utilizing him as a checker, a grind line guy, and that's not it. So that tells me you're fundamentally using players, not to their strengths, which is a coaching Thing. And coaches, you know, coaches take the fall for everything. They're easy to be dumped and, and trash, and get a new one. And so, honestly, I think that's the better Preds. The the best thing the Preds could do is probably get rid of him and go for something else.
2: But Yeah, Kyle, pull this up really quick because I, I this is something I, I want to see, kind of where we're at roster-wise. I know we've had some kids, like, absolutely kill. It's like, Sherwood's way up there. Holy smoke. I had no idea. He had 26 points already. Um, Tomasino is really standing out there. He's almost at a point per game pace. What is that? Thirty-one games played, twenty-eight points. That's pretty good. So yeah, but that's that's great. Yeah, we got great talent. But the
1: the bigger issue is still, which we've been talking about it all night, is is the management of the yeah, talent. Yeah, well,
2: well, but that's my whole point. Is like you're, you're sitting here looking at this list. Like, why aren't some of these kids coming up? You know what I mean? Like, why do you have why do you have a Cole Smith who took forty six games to get a goal?
1: That's crazy. I didn't realize
2: that. That was in, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, like that's why it was such a big deal the other night when he scored. Everybody was like, yeah, he scored!" and people were flipping out, like he's getting a stand and o in Bridgestone. Because I'm like, yeah, because it took you forty six games to score one goal, and I'm like, you got almost a point per game player sitting on the bench who who literally played. Uh, 76 games for us last year, and also had way more goals and way more assists. He's already he already has a proven track record of scoring more goals and assists in the NHL. And you just have him in. Like I said, this year has been so frustrating as a Preds fan. Like you said, it's so hard to get on the bandwagon with them because of the asset management. And and it's like frustrating at this point.
1: And something that kind of goes along with it as a fan. It's like, you know, I'm a Detroit fan. Well, Detroit has sucked for like eight-ish years. Um, and, you know, Detroit fans, we still are Detroit fans. Why is that? We're not super frustrated or the, at the organization. Why is that? Well, it's because we have a plan, and they're kind of open about saying, here's what we're here's the assets we're trying to acquire. Here's what the plan is we're trying to do. We're trying to draft. We're trying to do this and this. And you go along, and you're trying to follow a prescribed formula to give you hope that say, well, it might suck right now, but... Here's what we're looking forward to, and here's how we're going to make it better. The problem with the Preds is you're seeing some frustration being in being a no man's land, but yet you don't really have a plan or where you don't know where you're going. So it's like, well, are you are you buyers? Are you trying to acquire new talents like Bo Horvat? Or are you trying to be a seller? Are you trying to get rid of John John Hines? It's almost like uh, David Poile plays things so close to the vest that. We as fans don't have any idea where we're headed and that's what's frustrating is we're, we're we're screeching our tires here we just need to see some progress in some direction and I can get on board as long as I see something
2: So the problem is though is like they say something but they don't do that something okay so like Detroit was terrible for years but then they got Steve Eiserman and Steve Eiserman's very laser focused so obviously gonna be a lot better you know it's taken a few years you're getting back there okay you know what I mean you're getting back up there. Coyle keeps saying, Oh, we're doing competitive rebuilds, or oh, we're gonna embrace the youth. That's what he said. Embrace the youth. Have we really done that while waving Tolvenin and keeping some of the others in Milwaukee? We haven't. Like, that's the thing, is like I and to your point, Matt, like there's always in the middle. Like the last several seasons have just been in the middle, and you need to pick. Like, it has now gotten to the point where you have to pick. Do you want to tank? Or are you buying? Do you want a new coach? Or are you riding this one out? Like, you have to just make a decision at this point because otherwise you're going to you're gonna be left with one. And honestly, if you pick one or the other, one of those options is going to happen because if you stay with Hines, it's probably going to tank a little bit. I'm just going to be honest. So, like, you just need to make the decision and go with it at this point. But I'm very interested to see where we're going to become trade deadline because wh- when's the NHL trade da- tra- deadline? Six weeks. Six weeks. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait because this is going to be the telltale sign. You have three tough games, which we could potentially lose all three in a row despite Soros being amazing, and then still going to all-star break limping. At that point, Poyle has got some hard decisions to make. He's going to take – I guarantee you he'll have to take a hard look in the mirror over the all-star break if we lose the next three because at that point you're pretty much out of the race. You're going to be down to like 10% probably for making the playoffs. It would take a miracle run at this point and probably other teams to struggle. So you're down to like 10%. You need to take a hard look in the mirror on Fire and Hines if you lose the next couple.
0: Well, you're talking about a miracle run here. So we've got other people on the trade board that could possibly help the Preds, but the, realistically, I don't think they would be somebody that uh, GMDP would look, look for. So as we mentioned, you've got uh, Bo Horvat and Brock Besser uh, coming available for Vancouver. Uh, Arizona, you've got Jacob Chickram, Shane Gottespear, and Nick Bustag for Arizona. You know, if if Hines wants a huge checker, he can get it in Bustad, You know, all six foot six of that guy. Uh, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves are coming available in Chicago, but I've read they're gonna they're gonna probably stay with Chicago.
2: Yeah, uh, Kane's gonna be
0: way too much too.
2: Uh, what about Ryan O'Reilly or Vladimir Tarasenko from St. Louis? I, w- I would like Tarasenko, but w- how much is he going to command? Once again, you've already signed all these big contracts. That's the thing is like you need like a you need like a sub six player, sub six sure. mil. Like you you can't go out and get another eight million players. So that that crosses off several of these immediately because some of them are wanting to cash in.
0: And you've got Lars Eller in Washington, uh, James Van Reimdijk for Philadelphia, and Matt Tyler-Pertuzzi for Detroit.
1: You know, I love Bertuzzi, I'm too. I'm very mad that love you Bertuzzi. have him on the list. I didn't <laughs> realize that he has been up in the discussion for being on the trading block. Uh, I was just lamenting to you guys. He got hurt again the other day, so this is his third injury of the year. Uh, if he gets traded... I'm done with Detroit, man. I'm, I'm I I am riding this boy. I like I was hard on Tolvanin. Like I'm that's my money guy. Bertuzzi is my guy
2: for Detroit. I do. I really like Bertuzzi, and it would probably be at a bargain because of all the injuries recently. So if you could get him, and then he becomes healthy, that would be kind of a good one to look into. I mean, I would definitely give him a call and see what they're wanting. You know, but you know, we'll see.
0: But Matt, if Bertuzzi gets traded, since he is your boy. Um, are you going to become a full-blown uh, you guys? Um, because I know you have a clear distinction, especially when we podcast and even with games, about you're either all in on the Preds or it's a I'm not part of this at all. So if Pertuzzi gets
2: traded, are you, are you completely done with Detroit for good and going to come I'm to the Preds? Oh,
1: no, no way, no oh. way. That's just
2: hyperbole, Kyle. That's just hyperbole. It, I'll will, get it, it will be crushing, though, for him because that's like the – yeah.
1: I'll get a I'll get the jersey if he plays for Nashville and he'll be my favorite Nashville player for sure. But I'm gonna be I I'm gonna get crushed mentally. But that's just the way the year's been going for us boys. I don't know what to say.
2: Well, Detroit started off a lot hotter and they really fizzled out. So that it's it's kind of almost frustrating for you guys too. So I mean, yeah. we haven't really mentioned it because we didn't want to poke the bear. But you know it
1: it's still been a better year than we've seen in at least 6 years. No, they
2: they 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 are improving under his plan. It's just going to take a little longer. <laughs> it's Trust just the wiser plan, just, buddy. Just, just a few more years. I think two more years and and Detroit's going to be right back in it. It's just there's so many youth right now. Like it's just there there's still so many mistakes because they're so young, but they're embracing the youth. And I heard I'm okay with. I heard from
1: Elliot uh Friedman today that Apparently they're having some struggles with getting Dylan Larkin re-signed, so Ooh, that he would, could potentially that be out would the door. Really hurt, and that would be absolutely devastating. So,
2: just I mean, we're just because we're on it, that would hurt your rebuild because honestly, that's a piece to build around, not trade away. Yeah, he's a franchise yeah, player. Yeah, that's a franchise player. That would really hurt if if he walks away. I think that would actually stunt you at least a year. Put you guys oh, back. Yeah, it'll put you back another year. So <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's just my take on it. Which, uh, oh man, you got to sign him. Yes, please for God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Matt, you could also uh, if you know if Larkin doesn't get signed and Bertuzzi goes away, I got a feeling you're going to jump on the Boston bandwagon for good,
1: uh, bro. I'm so oh, on the gosh, Boston so fan. A uh, Boston bandwagon this year, buddy. They have been crushing. It got, it.
2: Okay, Let, we have this pulled up right here. They have an 81 goal differential right now. 81 with a .848 win percentage. They've only lost 5 times in regulation. They've only lost 5 times in regulation.
1: Pull up uh, Kyle hit the That's, differential on uh, on
2: uh, it's I think, think 40 I think 40 is, is. Toronto Yeah, 42 is Dallas.
1: Almost twice the goal differential of second place. 81 goal differential for Boston, 42 for Dallas. Twice as many goals in differential.
2: Yeah, but also Dallas has more than double the losses in both categories. Yeah. It's it's mind-boggling how good they are this
1: year. If you're going to be a skeptic to Boston, the only thing you could say is they have had quite an easy schedule the first half. So they're kind of bullying some of the small children in the schoolyard, but they're legit. I mean, they might not be a top ten God mode of all time, but they're the best team in the league still. So,
2: I don't know. They, I mean, they. It'll be interesting to see where they're at win percentage. It's going to be up there with the Tampa team. I feel like recently, like because what did Tampa finish a couple years ago? It was, it was very high. Top. I guess you could Google that really quick. Top uh, finishes. Oh, well, we can just look at. It was really quick, yeah. It's a great little little tab menu league. Yeah. I can't remember. So Florida last year was really good, but they only finished with a .744 win percentage. Boston's like .845, so they're like a full point uh, (laughs) above what they were.
1: You know, I've been That's watching
2: crazy
1: I've been watching the Boston games, but honestly, their broadcast team is a little is a little uh yeah, hard to watch because is. they really stroke off Boston all night. Like there's no let there's no let up. Like I get on to Chris Mason for acting like for acting like... Chris Mason acts like Alexi Emlin's a sniper and stuff like this. You know, they, they're kind of like hometown boys, which is fine, but you just kind of... You have to give it a little bit, but in Boston, it's like all game long. They're talking about the Boston, how dominant they are, how good everybody is. It's just... It's relentless. And, and I like you know I like Boston, but uh, I might have close. to occasionally switch to a different feed
2: here. Bro, it's not even close. We've gone back to 2019 and like all these teams are .74 and lower, and they're at a .84 right now win percentage. That is, what's that like? Roughly seventeen percent higher. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. I, I, I mean, absolutely crazy. If they can sustain this for the whole year, I mean, it would be like one of the best seasons all time for for a team. So let's go, Brad Marchand. Okay. Congrats, though. I just hope they can get past the hump in the playoffs. So <laughs> no problem, buddy. We'll see you this year. And so
0: as we get ready to um, close the episode out, I can think of um, very few ways to finish this episode. To ironically talk about the fact that uh, Connor McDavid hates the shootout as being one of the worst ways to possibly end a game, and I kind of have to agree with him. Shootouts suck. Give me five minute overtime over and over till we get a winner. You guys agree?
2: I, bro, I love three on three overtime. Like you can't give me enough of that in my veins. I mean, because it's it's pretty exciting to watch because there's always a, like a blown play, somebody falls down, it, you have the odd man rushes. Personally, I would just like the three-on-three until somebody wins. That's just me. But shootout's been uh, around a long time. So it's one of those, it's going to be very difficult for them to pull the plug on it. Um, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But that was one of the best things that the NHL could have done was implementing the three-on-three OT for five minutes. I I mean, maybe, maybe at first, let's double it. Let's take it to 10 minutes. And I'm sure that would cut out probably a good portion of the shootouts. I, I I think maybe that's your solution is like shootouts just become very special. You know what I mean? Like very rare. If you go to 10 minutes, I would hope somebody would score within 10 minutes on a three-on-three. Yeah, three.
1: That's the theory that the longer you go on, the less likely it would be to go into a shootout. but. You know, it's odd that Conor McDavid is saying that he hates the shootout because he's like the best skills player of all time. So for <laughs> him <kinda> to <laughs> say he doesn't like it is is remarkable. But I think it speaks to it speaks to ending the game in a skills contest, something you should see at an all star competition, as opposed to ending the game with the game of hockey, like a three-on-three, three, at least. It's, yeah, it's faster pace, but at least it's hockey. It's not a skills contest, and I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's great fans get to see Patty Kane out there with some shake and bake, and that's great to watch, but it does kind of hurt that you play the whole game, and then you end in a one-skill challenge. It kind of feels unauthentic to how the game should end, so I'm with him, but I don't think we'll see that change, at least not in the, in the coming years, so... It's interesting to think about.
2: Well, even to do the, the ten minute change, I I, I think one of their immediate counterpoints to that is going to be like, well, we want the game shorter and we don't want it to prolong. So like, you're already extending another five minutes, which I get because you know that's the main thing. It's like obviously, like in the playoffs, it can go to triple, quadruple. We've been there for one of them, Kyle. Triple overtime. You know, you're there till one thirty in the morning. It, it's a long game. And I understand the regular season, they want to cut that down. So adding more time is kind of like something that they don't want to do, but I would love just just to see 10 minutes flat, and then then it has to go to a shootout. I
1: I will say that – uh, Wayne Gretzky has went on record by saying that he would like to see a rule change to the three on three overtime and that they can't travel past center ice kind of like how in basketball you can't go back to the defensive end which in when is which is a frustration point that I've noticed in three on three you say it's very exciting it can be but for the most part I think players are so conservative that they don't want to blow you know a two on-one break the other way or whatever that they regroup they toss around they get a casual line change they regroup Behind the goalie, they waste so much time playing conservative because they're too afraid to mess up that it actually doesn't force them to make a dynamic what you want to see
2: from from it happening. So what they're doing is they they use the neutral zone and they keep possession to trap the other team in there so that they can't get that change because it's a long change. You got to remember because it goes back to the long change on OT for three on three. So I actually do agree with Gretzky, because if you made it to where you couldn't travel back past the half line, you would have to immediately come out of the blue zone and basically go right back in to where you are attacking and in their zone again, where now they'll come skate back out and they'll do that huge loop-de-loop around center ice while they get changes, but then the other team has to stay put because they're trapped. That's the main strategy possession yeah. possession is like everything for OT so I actually would like that change because it would make it even more exciting because you physically have to get back in their zone and cycle again yeah.
1: does that make sense a, it turns like a boxing match in a, in a big square face of like 15 feet it turns it into like a boxing match in a phone booth it makes it more dynamic you got more
2: action I, I like it it's a good idea yeah that that would be something that I would like to see so
0: and so Matt we're going to I actually finally close the episode out for real now. What kind of stats you got for us?
1: Okay, I'd like to throw a little hat tip to uh, the Kraken the other night. They were playing uh, Chicago, and they had six goals on seven shots to start the game, which is absolutely insane. They're also been destroying it on the road this year, apparently. Um, so hat tip to them. They're killing it. Also, it's sneaky, the Buffalo Sabres have five players that have 40 or more points, which is number one in the league right now. And they have three players that have 20 goals and that's second most in the league. So the Sabres are really finding a way to do some scoring, which is not something you've been seeing in recent years from them. So it's a breath of fresh air. I know I was watching Rasmus Dahlin last night when my dad was over and he was like, oh, that kid, he doesn't look like he's from around here. I was like, yeah, I think he's from Sweden. So uh, got some people taking a notice of boss, uh, sorry, of Buffalo. So it's nice to see them at least do do pretty good, at least scoring-wise. Um, and a couple of milestones I mentioned, Kyle, uh, my boy, Eric Carlson's having a throwback year this year. We thought he was kind of tailing end of his career. He still might be, but at least he's got some production going on. Now he's the the fourth man, fourth D-man in the last 30 years to have assist in nine straight road games, uh, joining the r- likes of Makar, Yossi, and Brian Leach. And also, your boy, Sid the Kid Crosby, now ties my boy, Taymus Solani, for 17th all-time in points. So... Good for Crosby.
2: And, Daniel, what games we have coming up? Well, already kind of alluded to this. So tonight's Winnipeg, very tough challenge. And then Thursday is the New Jersey Devils, also a very tough challenge. And then we're going to get into the All-Star break. Much-needed break for the Preds. They've been limping in. um, But it doesn't really get much better because, I mean, we got Vegas on the other side. And then we have a little bit of a lull with Philly and Arizona. And then it ramps right back up. Uh, going into the last portion of our season here. So, uh, next couple weeks is going to be very interesting. Like I said, tough games. A couple more weeks before the NHL trade deadline, um, we lose these next two. It's going to be some good reflection for Poyle over the break to try to figure things out. So,
0: And, guys, that is the show for today. If you like us, you can find us on Twitter at Music City Gold. You can also find us on YouTube at Music City Gold. And you can also find us at penaltyboxradio.com. Until next time, We will see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C. Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.